Hello and welcome to RC Talk, the voice of Racio Christi at Marshall University. My name is John Mays. I'm your host. I'm also the regional director for the states of West Virginia and Pennsylvania, along with being the chapter director at Marshall University. Before I get into today's topic, um, I was doing a little bit of research for today's topic, for today's podcast. And I discovered that I've been writing blogs <laughs> since 2014. I don't know. Uh, I don't guess I'd really thought about it. And I've typically been doing that once a week, uh, sometimes more often, sometimes less. And there's been some things come up during that time frame. But since 2014, and I've recorded already uh, in the past year, over a hundred podcasts. So we're staying busy. We're trying to reach people with the truth of Christianity and how to defend the truth of Christianity. But along with that, uh, we're also trying to help people understand uh, truth's not always popular. I don't know. That's a different story. Anyway, something else that I want to touch on before we get to the subject. And I do have a topic, I promise. Uh, My son has played upward basketball for the past couple of years. And I'm not going to say where he's played at or anything like that. It doesn't matter. But he completed this season over the weekend, this past weekend. And they had what they call a celebration and all this good stuff. And it was all fine. I mean, the year went by well. He learned a lot. His coach was a great guy. Um, if you know anything about Upward, it's I assume it's uh, Christian-based uh, because uh, as far as I know, it's always held in the church. I don't know that for a fact. But they did a, um, what would you call it, a little teaching moment, five-minute teaching at both places he's played during halftime. And I, I didn't see anything wrong with that either. Uh they were all right. But point being, the end of the season uh, this weekend, they did something that really, I guess, for lack of better terms, would I would say bothered me. Um, what a surprise, huh? <laughs> but I guess the reason it bothered me, what they did was they gave all of the players, and you have to consider these kids are probably five years old to, I would think, the most the ten years old maybe. I don't know, 12. Either way, they gave all of the students, children participating in ball this season, a card, a little white card, and I didn't get to see it, 
but they told us what was on it to an effect was we want you the players to fill this card out uh, on whether you believe in Jesus and have accepted Jesus whether you're not really do ready to accept Jesus but you do believe um, you're just not interested at this time different options like that regardless I asked my son shortly thereafter <laughs> what he put on the card and he said well I put number one that's what the coach told me to put I said the coach told you to and he's like well yeah he told all of us to put number one I said then what was number one and he said that I believe in Jesus. He said, and I do believe in Jesus, Dad. And I was like, well, I know that, and that's a good thing. Uh, and I kind of left it at that because I have a problem with the whole child salvation concept. Uh, I, if a child still believes in Santa Claus, I'm pretty confident that they don't understand the concept of salvation in Jesus Christ. But, just something off the top of my head I thought I'd throw out there, and now the much-anticipated moment I know that you've all been waiting for, subject of the week, although I do think I had something else I wanted to tell you. Anyway, if it comes to me, I'll throw it out there somewhere along the way. This week, I've talked about this before. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast and a blog on abortion, uh, provided some common objections, and gave you the common answers, just talking points. I mean, obviously it goes a little bit deeper. The next week I was probably frustrated, the best I remember. And then last week I gave you percentages uh, from an older book, but the difference in the church and society, the secular society, uh, some statistics on church beliefs, and these are were taken from the Barna group, which is a very reputable group. And I guess I'm going to kind of stay on that topic or that line of thinking. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about morals. Uh, and I know people that know me know that that's one of my favorite topics. And I've probably done one similar to this in the past. But what brings it up is, of course, my mother, my favorite example, and I were talking yesterday and I was trying to explain, you know, why it's so important that professing Christians know why they believe. And one of the examples I used, I said, instead of saying you believe in God or whatever, just take God out and put in, you know, the pixie fairy or something to that effect. Uh, put in Santa Claus. I don't care. I said, and think about it. How does that make any difference? If you don't know why you believe in the Christian God, you can substitute anything in that in it, in God's place and say, okay, what makes that any different? And I was trying to help her understand which led to the morals of right and wrong. I said, would you still do nice things that you do now if God did not exist? She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if God doesn't exist, would you still give clothes away, give to the poor, and give away hot dogs or whatever, uh, all of the outreach things that we do that we're going to show the love of Jesus? And, and she's like, well, of course. 
I said, exactly. So what do you base that on? Why would you do that? She said, well, because of God. I said, no, God doesn't exist. And I'm kind of rattling here, but again, I do this to try and help others, whether it be a follower, whether it be a new believer, a mature believer, a lost person. I do it for that purpose because that's what God's put on my heart. And I promise you, it's not something I woke up and wanted to do one day. It's it's legitimately, oh, if it wasn't, I would have given up a long, long time ago. I promise you that. But how do how do you know right from wrong? I mean, what do you base it on? Uh, I mean, there are many that think or that do not think about this question. They just assume that, you know, we do it as an outreach for the church. And I always argue, well, <laughs> there's a lot of people doing nice things out there. <clears throat> but there's a lot of ways to show that God's not needed to know right from wrong. I don't agree with them, obviously, but there's a lot of people that will give you what they feel are good arguments, although I don't know what they base good on, that we can know right from wrong without God. I will suggest, as with significant number of others that without God there would be no right and wrong and here's the syllogism for what we call or refer to the moral argument and I typically don't go here at this point of a conversation with somebody but for our purposes I will do that if God does not exist objective morals and values do not exist objective morals and values do exist Therefore, God exists. So, at one point in my career here, I've had to define what objective means versus subjective, and we'll talk about that in the meaning. But what that syllogism basically breaks down to is uh, are right and wrong morals, objective realities on all people at all times and all places, or up to the individual, or, you know, maybe the culture in which they were raised in. If morality is based on a person or a culture, it leads to what we what is known as moral relativism. And I don't care if you learn that term, that has no bearing on it. That's what it's called, moral relativism. And you'll hear people say that, well, it's all relative. Anyway, societies and individuals decide what is right and wrong from culture to culture or, or person to person. That's moral relativism. It's just, you know, whatever you feel is right or wrong, then that's fine. Three types of relativism, and this is strictly foundational information on it currently. Cultural rel- relativism is different cultures have different values. Gee, what a concept. Conventionalism, each society decides what is right and wrong. Cultural says there is no right and wrong, while conventional says there is, but it varies. Majority rules and morals simply become what is legal. In subjectivism, it is up to the individual depending on the circumstances. Now, if you understood all that, and I tried to read it slow, and it will be in writing on Thursday. You can read it in the blog. I'm not going to read through it again, but if you got that, then you can look around at our society and see exactly what that describes. 
it describes moral relativism. I mean, <laughs> different cultures, uh, each society decides, and, you know, the individual decides. So let me give you an example. Cultural relativism. In Mexico, abortion is illegal. In the United States, it's legal. And that's one of the arguments that uh, if you're discussing abortion, some of the objections is it, it will cause an economic hardship, which is called begging the question because meaning that only the rich will be able to have abortions. And that's not true. That's a logical fallacy. Uh, I think one of my my professors used a, I, don't, I think she was a movie star once upon a time. She flew on a plane, not she personally didn't fly. She got on a plane and flew to Mexico and had an abortion. And then she got back on the plane and flew back. So meaning why the objection to abortion would cause a uh, societal poverty, whatever, hardship, uh, and only the rich would be able to do it. That's the example that that is leading to. Conventional relativism states that somewhere like Germany, the law was they were killing Jews. So it was okay. It's it's the law. So pretty short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, I'm really not going to go into all of that, honestly, <laughs> now that I give you that foundation. The, the question is, morality is morality subjective, which basically is just your opinion. I mean, if you think it's okay to, to do something or live a certain way, then that makes it okay. Or is it objective, meaning that it's an absolute fact, that it's wrong in all circumstances for all people in all places? And you need to think about that. Sorry, I had to get a drink of my McDonald's tea that's killing me. McDonald's should sponsor me, or I should own stock there. has nothing to do with it. Uh, so why is it important that we think about morality uh, and what's it have to do with Christianity and our beliefs? I mean, a, little, a lot of people ask me that because they get tired of me going on about, look, this is the problem. This is the Morals are the problem in our society, and the church typically sitting back saying, well, yeah, we have all these problems in the world. Look at how terrible it is. Okay, well, let's do something about it. Let's learn how to defend it and go out and talk to people, if nothing else. Uh, church seems to think that all that matters is that you believe in Jesus. And as I've told you before, my first question is, which Jesus do you believe in? And that leads to them getting mad. Unfortunately, if it's a professing follower, if it's not, if it's a lost person, then... It's a decent conversation. Most people are convinced of their view uh, as we, we are of our. I mean, people don't believe that what they believe is wrong. <laughs> what people believe they believe, they believe to be true. How's that? But both cannot be right. I can't be right and you be right. Did you get that? Uh, it's hard to explain, but if you want to talk about it, we will. A quote from uh, Greg Kokel wrote a book. Well, he's wrote numerous books, but Tactics, and he's wrote, he, re he wrote one on relativism. Uh, 
But I took this from his notes when I heard him speak at Biola. He said, smart people know they are smart. Dumb people are too dumb to know they are dumb. We cannot answer from the inside. A test must be given to determine which are which. In our culture, the only thing that matters is if you think you are smart. Feelings are the foundation in today's world. <laughs> ah, amaze me. Most often, the church appears to be afraid to address such topics head on. Uh, instead, we stand up and, and state uh, from wrong, we are teaching an emotional feel-good theology. We're given answers such as people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a pastorism trying to avoid one of the tough subjects. Yes, I said that, and yes, I feel that way. If you don't want to face the tough tough subjects with your congregation on a Sunday morning, that is a pastorism. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's nice to hear saying, but does not answer our question. How's that? You see, the gospel offends, and I've said that many times, but we're not out to offend people, and in the same sense, we're not out to please people. That's not our goal. A subject such as gay marriage uh, is family objective. I mean, what defines a family? Or are family something we can change the definition of? See, we don't take time to think about these things. I mean, the Bible states that marriage is between one man and one woman up to the point we need to take this up to the point of taking a stance publicly on such things as that. Same thing with abortion. You're going to hate me because I seem to be on the abortion topic. Uh, and I just, I should be getting a book today. It's a little bit older, uh, written in the 90s, I think. Anyway, it's called uh, Death, what is it called? Politically Correct Death, and it's all about the abortion debates. So you may hear a whole lot more about that in the future, but for now we're still talking about morals. We're not objecting to censorship. This is moral objective objectivism. You know, we're not... <laughs> We're not telling people, I guess basically we're afraid of those, uh, who are you to say what I can do and I make my own choices crowd. We shouldn't be afraid of those type of people. We are not trying to uh, provide censorship. I mean, there's either a right or wrong people, and if there's not, then it's just your opinion. So we know what they say about those things. Subjectivism is uh, one of the many places the saying, true for you but not for me, comes in. Basically, morals are no more than a personal preference and opinion. And again, my favorite that you've heard me use many times, who are you to judge? Well, (laughs) are you judging me? Yes, you are. If subjectivism is true, meaning that there's no fact of right and wrong, that right and wrong is strictly an opinion. If that is true, then no one can say what is right and wrong. Take their wallet. People that say that kind of thing, take their wallet. 
punch them in the head. I don't know. They change their mind real quick. You can't live that in reality. They like to talk it, but it's not a livable uh, belief system. Moral relativism is often presented in the same manner as truth. Both are relative. And let me give you some examples that you can provide to a relativist in hopes of helping them understand, and I'm doing this in the same manner in hopes that you will understand the importance of it. And if any of these are true, then moral relativism is false. So think about that. Torturing babies for fun is wrong. If you tell me that torturing babies for fun is not wrong, then we need to talk to a doctor. People that believe in subjectivism, however, must walk walk by a rape in progress, trespassing, stealing, or basically any type of morality, morality, including torturing babies for fun. If they say no to any of these positions, their position self-defeats. And we've talked about self-defeating statements before as well. As human beings, society and culture decide right and wrong. Do they? Do human beings, society, and culture decide what's right and wrong? Think about a couple of the upstanding citizens of the past. I mean, Jack the Ripper, Charles Manson, Ted Bundy. There's a good Ted Bundy uh what you call it, documentary on Netflix, by the way, if you want to take the time to watch it. Anyway, morals are not opinions. Right and wrong is not somebody's opinion. And we stop being afraid to say that it's not. It, it It's either right or wrong. Honestly, it's that simple. But we've let it become such a major obstacle in our society today that that's actually winning out, that morals are based on however it makes me feel, what's right for me. And if you say anything about it, then you aren't being tolerant. Well, what do you say to that? Is that tolerant? Morals are not opinions. We lie, Here lies one of the reasons this argument is so strong for God. I mean, what do you base these things on? Many say they only believe science. Okay, what do we say to that? Can you prove that sentence with science? Morals cannot be measured by science. Science investigates the physical world, collects facts, and it draws conclusions. Moral knowledge comes from intuition. Self-evident, as with the torturing of babies. It's a genuine form of knowledge. Where do morals come from and why are they objective? Morality consists of prescriptions for behavior and motives, not descriptions of the world. Commands, not suggestions. Do this and do not do that. Not it would be nice if you did this or you didn't do that. Morality is objective. Right and wrong exist regardless of whether you believe it or not. It is authoritative. We're obliged to obey it. Dr. Frank Turek has a book out uh, about politically incorrect, about, or he states something to the effect of um, morals are the only thing we can legislate. And again, people 
aren't thinking about these things. That's why we have laws, boys and girls. Morals come from a transcendent person that has power and authority to impose them. We call him God. Why do you think when we do something we know it is wrong and we feel guilty? And you've all felt that. Without God, guilt is a passing state of mind. It's not really that easy, but that's basically the gist of it. As with truth, there is a right and a wrong. Everything else, again, is just opinion. So, if you go back to the syllogism and you think about it, and I'll read it one more time. If God does not exist, objective morals and values do not exist. Objective morals and values do exist. Therefore, God exists. Basically, if God does not exist, right and wrong do not exist. Morals and values, right and wrong, we know, do exist. Therefore, God exists. It's a couple of different ways of looking at it, but pretty sure I've beaten this horse. Uh, Let me leave you a quote to consider. And again, this will be on the blog Thursday, probably afternoon sometime. But the tragic truth for the moral relativist is this. When you hold God's funeral and bury his moral law along with him, something will take his place. That something will be an individual or a group of individuals take power and, in authoritarian fashion, impose their own moral framework on everyone else. The world has already seen such things in the regimes of Stalin and Pol Pot. Questions and answers. Email me at johnmays at ratiochristie.org. Or if you'd like to be a part of our financial support team, we greatly appreciate that as well. You can make a one-time donation or become a monthly supporter by going to johnmays.ratiochristi.org. And as always, you've been thunderstruck.